Hey guys, this is Dungeon Master Mitch. And this is Dungeon Master Chris. If you like our podcast and want to help support us so that we can raise an army of food mages to wage war on the culinary world, head on over to patreon.com slash dungeonmasterblock and check out all of the awesome rewards that are in store for you. Hello all you blockheads, welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block. The place where we focus on the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game. The only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of all other people at the table. I'm your host, Dungeon Master Mitch, and Dungeon Master Chris is sadly not with us today. Uh, He's feeling kind of under the weather, but uh, the show must go on, as Queen always says. Uh, so, I am joined today by Hashtag Magic Mark. Welcome back to the show. Woo! Thanks uh, for having me. <laughs> hashtag Magic Mark's going to be joining me, and we're going to be talking today about, we're going to be continuing our world-building series. We're going to be talking about pantheons today, uh, choosing gods for your world, what goes into making those decisions, and the structure of gods, powers of gods, all that good stuff. That is coming up later on the meet. But first, before we go to story time, let's, of course, do our iTunes shout-outs for our reviews. So the first five-star review is entitled Re-Energize, and it comes from O. Goli. And it says, I have been a DM a long time. I kind of quit and started just playing as a player. However, so many DMs are frankly dot-dot-dot lame. Ouch. (laughs) I often think of new ways to do things and things to make the game fun and come alive. These guys have felt like kindred souls and really got me back into dungeon mastering, which I have started doing again after a few years layoff. If you are a DM, listen to these guys. They have some great ideas and thoughts, and those ideas lead to more ideas of your own. If you are a player and the game seems a little bit lame, maybe you should mention it to your DM, (laughs) and your life might be a whole lot more fun. These guys are great. Uh, They talk about something they love, and they do it in a very fun and non-condescending way that will make you laugh and think, and it will definitely make you a better DM. Thanks, guys. No problem. Thank you for the review. That was was a good review. I like that. (laughs) I'm glad they don't see us as lame DMs. That's good. (laughs) All right, Mark. You're not a lame DM. Mark, I'm a little jealous you get to read this one because I felt like this guy writing in was a kindred spirit of mine, but go ahead. You have the honors. Our second review is from titled... The Podcast That Saved the World by DM Skywalker. Mm, so cool. First excellent point. Yep. <laughs> the only reason Galactus doesn't eat this planet is because he loves this podcast so much. Hashtag make mine marvel. The, the DM Skywalker, you are amazing. Thank you so much for that review. And I approve of the hashtag. <laughs> That's a great way to start this show. Uh, let's head over now to story time. Story time. The time during the episode where we talk about what happened last week during our campaigns, our favorite moments where we learned about ourselves and what we learned about each other. Please join us now as we enjoy Storytelling. Alright, so our story today comes from an older campaign, but a good campaign. A classic. Uh, a classic campaign. We haven't talked about it that much on the podcast. It didn't run for that long, yeah, it was but man, it had some good good memories, yeah. and this is one of them. Uh, we wanted to talk about a story that related to a god in some way, because that's our focus of the episode. So today we're going to tell you about 
collection day. So we had a pirate campaign. It took place in my world in this land called Dorgatha. And this is where all the orcs originated from. So many of the players were orcs. However, there was a couple races that, depending on what clan of orcs you guys as players chose, and you uh, chose the Black Sail Striker clan, which are a bunch of pirate orcs, you got the opportunity to choose a couple different other races, depending mm-hmm. on what clan. So one of the races that uh, was open to you guys besides orc was scaven or rat folk. And Mark, you didn't want to be an orc; you wanted to be a scaven. So yeah, you chose exactly. to be a scaven named. Uh, his real name was Sheshin Squeakit Gnat Olet Mall. <laughs> he had a very long, elaborate name. However, everybody else just called him Bilge because he was the Bilge Rat. Bilge Rat, yeah. And it was very fun to be a pirate. And yes. his job was to bail water out of the bottom of the ship. So it all made sense. <laughs> yeah, this this campaign had very humble origins, but uh, <laughs> for each of your characters. But you guys were set in sail to try and make your make your lot in the world. Yeah. Uh, so session squeaking. Uh, he <laughs> look at that. I remembered it. Bilge. Uh, he yeah. worshipped the great horned rat, which yes. is, if you recognize that, you probably played Warhammer. Uh, I've got that idea for a deity in my world from Warhammer. All the lore I made up myself, but the great horned rat got some pictures offline. It was it was pretty sweet. So uh, the great horned rat was the god of the Scaven people. Yep. Bilge worshipped him just like all the other Scaven uh, with great gusto and out of great fear. Yes, <laughs> He was not a very kind god. He it was definitely a worship through fear kind of system. Yes. Uh, so there was this this day, collection day, yeah. that happened once a month, right? That's what it was if I if my memory I think so. Yeah. It, yeah, it was more than annually, so I'm Yeah. I believe it happened once a month and the way that you knew that collection day was happening was there's three large torches and you came from a little island city called Guttergrime. Yeah. And this you would look at the, at this place from a distance and think it was a big mountain, but why did they, they look it like a mountain? Trash. Yeah, it, it was, was just a big pile of trash. Was, you know that garbage <laughs> island that's like out in the middle yep. of the Pacific Ocean? It was basically that times ten because it like yeah. went, worked its way up like yeah. stories it, it's high. Got, definitely got height, probably mm-hmm. size. I think that island's like two mile. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that it's big. It's giant. Yeah. Um, the island, but. This island was definitely got yes. verticality on its side. Exactly. And so, like, the the buildings worked its way up with the trash, and out of the windows of buildings was just flowing trash. And mm-hmm. this is the way the scavens people loved it. Like, this yeah. is this was what they... They would, like, carry their trash and see another piece of trash and dump all their trash in the street and run and get the other piece of trash. <laughs> they were very eccentric. <laughs> yes, they always wanted the shiniest trash. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, you would go to stores there that sold you trash that they just found on the floor that day. Yeah, like, it exactly. Was, it was ridiculous. It was, it was fantastic a lot of fun. because people would go to the store and, like, dump their trash out and buy the trash. And then exactly. the people at the store would walk around the counter, pick up that trash, and sell it to somebody else. One of the best cities in my world. It's just so much fun. But so at the top of this civilization, there was the temple to the great horned rat. And it was there at the top of this temple, there were three big torches. And so you knew it was collection day. You knew it was coming because when the first torch was lit, it was kind of your first warning. Second torch was lit. Third warning. Third torch lit. Get there right now. Bring your offering. And there was no like, there was no dates as far as they were concerned. They didn't concern themselves with the calendars. It was very chaotic, just like, yeah. whenever the prophet of the Great Horn Rat decided that Collection Day was upon us, yeah. he'd like that third one. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole city that was just 
overpopulation, tons of garbage, was like... People on tip of people. Yeah, just mass chaos. Yep. All these scavens running up to this temple. And so you were actually on the island with the with, with your orc buddies. Yeah, we were on a different island. Yep. And me and one other character were both scavenging. We kept on like looking over our shoulder, checking the torches. Like, <laughs> and, and there was always this like twitchy neck action that most scaven have anyway. Yeah. But they would... Always know exactly what direction that torch was, and just twitch that way. I'd be like, "Is it? Is it a three? Is it a three? And just my, living in constant fear. Yeah. Um, my character had failed, fallen short one collection day, and so and in, yeah. instead, um, you had to bring offerings yes. to to the Great Horn Rat, yes. and you ha- it had to be approved by the Great Horn Rat's prophet. Yes, and basically this, you know. Just speaking as the the DM, the one who ran the great the the prophet, it was just all up to like if he was cranky that day. There were less, you know, everything was like kind of denied. And so if you didn't get a worthy, if he deemed your offering not worthy, what yeah. happened? Uh, he would take something else. Yes. <laughs> uh, sometimes that would be a body part. Sometimes that would be uh, something on your person, like. That's not good enough. I'll have your shirt. Yes. Or, <laughs> but more often or not, more it turned out to be not. a body part. Yeah. For the, um, I don't know, chaotic, evil, probably, mm-hmm. deity, it was definitely more often than not a body yes. part. And that was the case with my character. He had, at a young age, lost his hand. Again, great for a pirate campaign. He had, like, a crossbow in his yep. hand. It was really cool. It was like a hook crossbow, so you could use Turn it Turn that both. flaw into an improvement. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Hashtag magic mark. <laughs> Min-maxers for the win. Oh, gosh. Um, so, yeah. So he was very, very interested in keeping his other hand, though, because that was a sword hand oh, anyway. terrible. Um, yeah. So collection day was a big deal for Session Squeakit, or a.k.a. Bilge. So collection day rolls around in this campaign... Uh, this one time, and me and the other rap folk character decided we need to get our butts to gutter grime, like right stinking now, and we need to have some good trash. Now, luckily, we were staying on the Orc Island, which is a little bit cleaner. A little bit cleaner. A little bit. Um, <laughs> but there was a lot of... And by a little bit, we yeah. mean by our human standards, dirty, Still but way disgusting. cleaner. <laughs> way cleaner. Um, but there was... Obviously, way better trash coming off of the orc stuff than the rat stuff because that was like trash upon trash upon trash. <laughs> Normally, stuff was like given to the great horned one like three times in a day if it was lucky. So, <laughs> my character had some good trash. Mm-hmm. Now, I I gained the habit that I've maintained to, through all of my characters to this date of keeping weird random stuff on my inventory page and my inventory no matter what it is it's always full and normally none of that stuff is useful you would during this campaign search like whatever you could and you were expecting me to give you garbage yeah. <laughs> like you did not want to find like gold you wanted to find like you want to know what what kind of garbage do i find yeah. like so we literally would spend time like working through what kind yeah. of garbage you found yeah there was times i think it was like four crumpled up pieces of paper <laughs> a broken toothpick and <laughs> a used apple there was all sorts of crazy weird stuff so you it's collection day you're funneling into this huge line you see scabbing around you like looking at the ground which is just garbage and they're like dropping whatever they have as the offering grabbing something else that they think is better they're fighting with each other because everybody's like you know you're looking around at the city full of scaven and there's ones without arms there's one without legs eyes nose tails like which was the the most 
terrible thing for a scab. It was losing your tail. Um, But so uh, everybody's just panicking. It's just chaos, just total chaos. So you wait hours on this line, and your orc buddies are with you kind of like, this is so worthless. And and this isn't like a line, like single file line. No. This is more just like people wedged against yes. <laughs> each other, forcing into a smaller and smaller yeah. hole. Like you said, like, on top of, like, these are scaven on top of scaven, like, run, just yeah. jumping on top it, of each it other. It smells it's, awful. There's yeah. six different Not kinds to you, of you. <laughs> um, it's, it's a pretty Think of an experience. orc being disgusted by something. This yeah. is the orc character. I do we're think one orc character decided he was going to give something on collection. Day. I think he, I think that was Jared, because I feel like Jared always yeah. wants to be a part <laughs> of the weird stuff. Um... <laughs> So yeah, one of the orc characters decides he's going to give something, but he Lucky doesn't he have any good anything, trash. Yeah. And I think he might have got scared away like at the last second. I think of, so. Like, well, do you remember what happened right before you gave your... Right somebody else you, got something some, cut off. It was like the person what. in front of you, yeah. and they had one leg left, oh, yeah. I believe. Like, he had, he had, like, had his arms chopped off, his leg chopped off, he had one leg left, he was being, like, helped to the, like, to the prophet, and the prophet was like, not worthy, take off his last leg, and then they just rolled him out, bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> like, and yeah. so, you're already scared, but then you see that happen right in front of you, and you're just yeah. like, oh no, and your offering, was it deemed worthy? Um, it was deemed worthy. Yes. I don't remember what it was. I think it was like... That was probably the least important thing yeah. of the whole thing. I think it was like orc toes or something <laughs> like that. Like we had killed an orc or something and I just probably. was like, I harvest random things. It might have been like a couple teeth and toes. Yeah. I think I overdid it. Like I basically you, like, went through my inventory and was like, okay, six of this, insurance. Of this. I just was like, dump a huge bag up. <laughs> yeah, and this temple, let's talk about it. the temple yeah. had a huge like golden statue in the middle of it where the prophet sat and this thing's covered even though it's gold it's covered in poop and it's like disgusting like yeah Yeah. the seagulls are all around this place like scaven every now and then catch a seagull eat it uh but it's it's flooded with trash there's like it's going out the coliseum like build like it's literally just dumps on dumps (laughs) on dumps there's just like hierarchies of dumps in the scaven society so but yeah so you you're you're Collection day offering was deemed worthy. Yes. And for that month, the yours saved. That was good. <laughs> that for was... that month-ish. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was uh, that was us playing in Dorgatha with Collection Day, the Great yeah. Horn Rat, and Scaven Society. So if that gives you an idea to bring in some rat folk into your world, please do. Uh, yeah. They are very fun to play. Yeah. They all should have a really dirty, like, British accent. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we played them. Um, Oi, yeah, mine, what are you doing over there? Had a charisma of six. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And I think the other thing is they always go, if somebody's going to throw something away, you go, you can keep that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'll take it off your hands. <laughs> uh, but that's that's our story time for today. Hopefully you enjoyed that. Let's head over to the meet. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Yeah. Why can't we have some meats? Just a mouthful. Alright, so for the meet today, we're going to be talking about when you're building your world and you want to choose what gods are part of your world, how do you choose? Now, clearly the first answer to this would just be pick a standard pantheon from the D&D books. If you're playing in a world that isn't your own, like you can just go off of those. But if you're creating your own world, uh, it makes sense that maybe you want to create your own pantheon. Uh, now, one of the things you can do is uh, you just 
you don't set like here's your pantheon and you just let your players play with characters and they choose their gods when they come to the table that's how some of the gods from my world before I really thought about this mm-hmm. uh, came into the world of Atos because you guys as players would pick I want to worship this guy yeah. I want to so they became part of my world however recently uh, within the past year I decided I really wanted to create a pantheon a set pantheon uh, different gods came in at different times during the world's history but like we're talking today about what goes into the process of if you want to create your own pantheon and choose select gods what do you have to think about when you're doing that so the first thing you need to think about is what do you mean by when you're say the pantheon of your world are we talking pantheon or are we talking pantheons one of the ideas is the one pantheon world and so your world has one pantheon it has these gods all these gods exist and they're worshipped all over your world that makes a lot of sense in a lot of cases now if there's mm-hmm. we were talking before the show started about how divine magic works and how that very much plays a part into your pantheon and your the religion of your world and we'll talk a lot about that because it's very prevalent as we go through the show but in a one pantheon world if you're praying to a god and they're granting you divine magic that is clear evidence that that god exists so if you're a cleric of pelor it's clear that pelor exists if your divine magic is doing yeah. something pelor so, did that exactly so why wouldn't the whole world of that plane worship pelor because exactly. he's a clear god and so everybody pays whether it's you know they worship him or they acknowledge that he's he is definitely he's a true real. god. Yeah, and so their god goes against them. Yeah, good examples of one pantheon worlds are with like your typical real world lore of like the Greek gods in a Greek mythology setting. Those would be the gods. No other pantheons would exist unless you, as a DM, decide that to be the case. Same thing with a Norse pantheon, Egyptian pantheon, all of those things. Those cultures and those settings believed that those were the gods, and that was it. There wasn't anything to the side. And that would be like a good mono pantheon. I, I suppose so, yes. <laughs> yeah, mono, one pantheon, mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to other settings, which we'll get into in a moment, with um, multiple pantheons worshipped by multiple groups. Uh, that opens the door for another idea that you need to think about when you're creating a pantheon. So Mark just brought up, and he's absolutely right, about the, you talk about gr- ancient Greece having that one pantheon, all these gods, all of Greece said these these are the gods they did not say this is these are the gods and we also you know <laughs> worship these yep. these people that's that's the way it was one pantheon that being said then you head over to another country and they are not worshiping the greek gods they're wor- you go over to persia they're worshiping worshiping the persian gods yep. uh you go to all these other different places they're going to be worshiping different kinds of gods and we're talking about our world right now clearly a whole world but different pantheons, different gods, depending on where you go. Uh, and so this idea can be something you really want to think about when you're creating a pantheon for your world is, do different lands have different pantheons? Do they all have different gods with their pantheons? And we, we won't talk about it too much on this episode because we believe that this is a great thing to talk about a different episode, but you then you can come into different, like, different kinds of religion, like monotheism, Uh pantheism, polytheism, all these kind of things for different regions of your world. And so why would your world have this? Why would it make sense for your world to have different pantheons for different regions? Well, the rulers of the land could be one. Whoever's ruling that land at that time can decide who it is, the gods that they are worshipping. Exactly. 
you could also have it where you know that deity created that region, mm-hmm. and so those people only know that deity exactly. or that set of deities. If I've never heard of Pelor, I'm not going to worship him. If I've never heard of somebody else, I'm not going to worship them. But if I've heard of this guy and I prayed and he did stuff, that's going to be a pretty good sign that <laughs> I'm probably going to worship him. Yeah, region is a big thing, like you said. If you are in a desert country, they're probably not going to be worshiping the god of cold and ice and snow. Uh, yeah. That's going to be much more like the northern regions, like the Skyrim-type land in which the Icewind Dale, where they're going to worship uh, a god of cold. Yeah. Uh, if you worship, if you live in a region that has wolves running around, well, maybe they worship a god that either looks like a wolf or like commands wolves or something it's part of his portfolio that's the kind of god that's going to be found in that region different pantheons also make sense because of the gods themselves if there's gods that are at war with each other it makes a lot of sense that it could go into different regions that this region worships this god and this region worships this god and maybe they even became two separate countries because of the fact that they were one country maybe at one point that split because of the worship of two separate yeah, warring gods. Exactly. And if if gods are at war and their power source is their worshippers, that's another dynamic that we could talk about probably quite a bit is the the symbiotic relationship of worshipper and deity. Mm-hmm. If if a deity's source of power is their worshippers and a worshipper's power is their deity, there's kind of that cyclical system and if gods are vying for power at war, more followers equals more power equals ability to defeat my enemy. Exactly. And, and, and then it works on the mortal level as well as if the mortals on the, of this country win a war, then they're able to lord it over the other country. And our god is more powerful than your god. And the, the losing mortals go, why didn't our god help us win? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a huge part of like, especially like we're talking like D&D uh, style settings, like most worshippers that you find, they're going to land on that more fanatical side yes. of things. Especially like, they, like clerics. Yeah. Uh, they're living in a world full of signs from their gods. Clerics are walking around, like you said, priests that are actually able to channel the prayers of gods and show you right there their god is real through their magic. Yeah. That also comes up uh, showing gods that are real. We'll talk about this more in depth later, but it comes up with different regions having different gods. Well, If you're talking about, like we originally talked about, a one pantheon world where there's this one pantheon, that doesn't mean that that there aren't other pantheons of different countries that exist. But does that mean that those are gods that don't agree with each other or have they chosen different areas to be the rulers of? Or does that mean that there's false gods that are being worshipped falsely? And this is kind of what you were talking about at the beginning with false gods. like Then with false gods, where does the power come from? Exactly. And is there power? <laughs> is there power? Does somebody else provide that power? How are those clerics creating miracles? Exactly. Is it trickery? Is, there, is it? Yeah. Are they arcane spellcasters that pretend to be Have divine casters? Have learned to warp the arcane mm-hmm. into a divine style of spell? There's the the trickster god is probably my favorite answer. Just like some god who's like, I'm the god of lies and deceit. Yeah. I'm gonna mess with people. Everybody who prays to somebody else that doesn't exist. I'm going to let it happen anyway. Yeah, you could create, you could either take a trickster god that's already in D&D lore, like Ola Damara. Exactly. Like, he loves mischief and tomfoolery, and have him be behind all that. Or, another option is create your own trickster god. Maybe, we were talking about 
a god of the godless or or a god of false gods. And so everyone in this world that worships a god that isn't real, he gets the power from that and he answers all their prayers to false gods. And so that's who is actually behind all this, that magic. This would be a great chaotic neutral deity mm-hmm. who's all about just messing with the world. Now, the cool thing about this god is if, obviously, one false god is not going to have more, more worshippers than a Pelor. But all of the false gods collectively across an entire plane of existence might outrank Pelor and then, in turn, make this god of false gods the most powerful exactly. deity in the world. Yeah, if their power is coming from prayer and from praise, that would definitely be true. Now, another interesting thing that that comes to mind in this sense is, what if this god of false gods is proven to not be real? Well, power is coming from these gods. So then does another religious sect open up that says that all gods are false? Because now they're denying the existence of Pelor because, well, this god was proven to be false. So how are we to know that Pelor exists? Because... Both of them are casting these spells. Yeah. You're saying they're coming from gods, but look over here. We know this god was false. And now this false god is even reveling more and laughing <laughs> in his trickery of, more the, of the races. Yeah, yeah. And exactly, if, if the power is proven false in one context, that brings into question every miracle ever. Exactly, <laughs> every miracle. <laughs> every single one. So if there's a god that doesn't provide that kind of thing, it's amazing for the dynamic and you can really see this cool moment of, all right, so if that's not legit, that means that none of this is legit. <laughs> so that means that everything changes. That's a whole paradigm shift in not only the context of worship, but in the context of how the world functions. Uh, another thing that comes into play when you're talking about the different worship of gods in different regions of your world, you could have two different regions, two different countries, two different lands, two different people groups that worship the same god. But the way they view that god is completely different. Yeah. And how the interesting thing that you have to think about is, so does, once again, does that divine magic still come from both of those gods? Is it, once again, this trickster god, trickster god that's feeding the people who see the god in a different way? For example, there is there's three different ways that Kord in my world of Atos is viewed. Uh, you have the actual way that Kord is worshipped by a lot of barbarians and worshipped by arena fighters and stuff. They see Kord the way that he is: big, muscular barbarian, loves to battle, loves to do, loves to fight. Uh, then you have a more urbanized view of Kord by the sophisticated people uh, who still will go into battle and they're all about you know the trophies shining them on their shelves like the haughty taughty knight. Let us <laughs> so, engage in fisticuffs. Ex- exactly and they see Cord as more an armored kind of knight more civilized then you have one of my favorite parts you have uh, these these crazy jungle tribe people that see Cord as a huge muscular all whole body tattooed and he you don't actually see his face he's got one of those giant tribal masks on with yeah with feathers and that's how they see cord with this big aztec sword you know the big like long uh, rectangle ones with the or is it a club it's a club that they have right like the club club swords that they have like the teeth the shark teeth (laughs) in it all over exactly that's more maori but anyway, it doesn't matter. Either way. <laughs> but yeah, that's what, that's what it, we're talking about a D&D world here. Yeah, but yeah, so uh, that's, it could be a legitimate thing for your world too. Different places seeing different views of 
the same kind of God, and yeah. how does that play out? Especially if those two people meet, there you, you can, especially with the urbanized viewpoint yeah. and the the barbaric viewpoint. Like they're meeting in the arena all the time, and so I imagine they're fighting all the time about how Cord is, and like, <laughs> oh, you think Cord is the barbarian? How you are? You're the barbarian. It's like theology discussion all exactly, over. Exactly right. <laughs> it's real world brought into a fake world. <laughs> So another thing talking about pantheons is you got to always, of course, talk about the racial pantheons. You know, you, you can have pantheons that are dwarven pantheons, elven pantheons, human pantheons, orc pantheons, and then just like monster-specific pantheons. Yep. And that's, that's how a lot of D&D settings do, do it. Like yep. they, they have orc pantheons, they get Grimush, uh, and a lot of these race-specific pantheons have like a superior, the leader. Yep. Uh, you think of orc, you think of Grimush. Think of dwarf, you think of Moradin. Yep. Elf, Corellum. Yep. Pelor for humans. Pelor for humans. Yep. Um, yeah, there's like all these different kinds of racial there's, pantheons. There's the head honcho, the Zeus. Exactly. And then you have all these other other gods that are part of that racial pantheon. And, exactly. And just like the one pantheon world where you have all these gods, but they're all very specific to their tasks, uh, in a racial pantheon you can have a bunch of gods in a world that are very specific to their profiles. However, you know, you have the god of dwar- of dwarves, who is uh, the god of mining. Then you have the god of gnomes, who's the god of mining. You've got the god of elves, that is the god of forest. Then you have, you have a satyr god of yep. forest. You have a human god of forest. And so, like, with these racial pantheons, you have every single pantheon can have a specific god for a specific purpose or you could even twist it to the point where all of the god of dot 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 the god of forest for example the humans worship the god of forest the elves worship the god of forest and all of these different races worship the god of forest but it's the same deity but they see them but they they've you know actualized it to themselves exactly you know who what human is going to worship the elf god without some sort of legitimate reasoning behind it. And some gods are going to have no problem with that. All the, the gods, they can appear in whatever form they want. Like it, There's going to be some gods that they're going to use that to their advantage to get the elves worshipping them, the dwarves worshipping them, the humans worshipping them in their highest form of worship. <laughs> yeah. Because a dwarf is going to, at first, definitely go towards those dwarven gods. That's going to be his go-to. And yeah. so if you appear to dwarves as a dwarf, that's going to score you a lot more points as far as wor- worship rather than appearing to them as in, an and an elf yeah, or an orc like they're probably just going to try and attack you hey, worship me. <laughs> no. uh, so yeah that's a, that's an interesting point to point out about racial pantheons uh, so the next thing you want to think about it when you're talking about a D&D pantheon for your world is the idea of fallen gods now by fallen gods we mean a whole bunch of things. First of all, a fallen god can be a dead god. Uh, We'll talk about death with gods a little bit later, but if a god is dead, well, then their worshippers, once again, you can always go back to the trickster god too, but their worshippers are not, no longer receiving the divine powers from their prayers because they've died. You could have uh, a god that has simply just gone from this place. Just left. Just left, for whatever reason. Uh, He wasn't he just didn't like the place. <laughs> it could also be a fun plot hook for your campaign if a god falls literally to the world yeah. and not only loses all of his power, but loses all of his memory. So it's just like this random amnesiac dude, mm-hmm. and your party has to figure out, okay, 
uh, this guy just kind of showed up, and we get this feeling that he's important, but we have no idea why. <laughs> and you could also be, like, the cleric of your party, like, worships this deity, and his powers suddenly stop at the same time you run across this guy. Could create a whole fun little mm-hmm. dynamic. Stick for your player, who's a cleric that can't cast spells. It's like, okay, what do I do now? But I'm sure you as a DM could figure that out. I just watched recently the Dragonlance cartoon D&D movie. <laughs> it, was, it was a fun ride for somebody who liked Dungeons & Dragons. If you didn't yeah. like Dungeons & Dragons, Keeper Sutherland was one of the voices, there, which is pretty crazy. You should watch it. Um, I think you'd actually enjoy it. It's funny because it's one of those cartoons that tries to use CGI and classic and, art, and it does not look good at all. It's like all the dragons and draconians like are CGI. Are CGI. And so there's this one shot with like... 300 draconians and they're all raising their swords and it's like they're all the, it's all the it's same like gif you know? it's like it's so terrible um but i bring that up because in there there's a god who uh, took on human form looked like an old wizard who couldn't remember anything yeah. like and i i think it was just an act the whole time but he was he was this really strong god and the, the reason I bring that up is because that's an interesting point, too. Gods do come to the material plane. They'll walk among us with the in, within the D&D campaign. So what what does that mean? Like, are you can just simply go, they're a god, they're still able to answer prayer. Or you could question and go, uh, when they're walking the material plane as a human, as a human, like disguised as a human, do they lose some of their power to grant prayers to their worshipers yeah. like are their prayers not answered then is it then like on the gone? opposite side of your spherical maybe world <laughs> that um you could you know he doesn't hear quite all the way around the world or something like that exactly i think in the rules there's like a limit to like power and range ratio but we won't get into that yeah. you can also have like mark you talked a lot about how gods in some lore need prayers and praise to, powerful, to yeah. be more powerful and so what happens if a god is forgotten there's no longer worship do they just kind of fade from existence yeah. do they do they then is that when they leave when they're like i'm getting no worship from this plane so i leave so the, a forgotten uh, god can be a yeah. fallen god the uh the old tv shows of like hercules and xeno warrior princess that mythology they actually had this system of like worship equals power for a god yeah and so and the show kind of goes place over that transition from greek to roman rule and so all of the greek gods towards the tail end of this are mm. like i'm losing my worshipers yeah. i'm losing my power and they're like eventually they turn into just regular people who hmm. can't die so they they still have the immortality but nothing else well that was like in the wrath of the titans movie like yeah. zeus is still alive at the end and so is hades they're walking around, but mankind is turned away from the gods, and yep. so the gods are no longer powerful. So yeah, that, and that's a that's a really good point. So what happens with these gods that are forgotten? Well, they're they're no longer god status, or so they're no longer there. Yep. That makes really interesting too. If you if you're playing a campaign with a world like that, to add forgotten gods in, because you can have players that know your pantheon really well, and then they can come across a temple to a god that was at one point part of this pantheon but they never heard of this god before because it was so long ago yeah and this god no longer has a worship base here on this world yeah and you could even have one guy sitting in there who's just that god who's run out of worshipers and even have this thing that applies where he's just a guy who can't die 
and he hangs out where he used to be the cool guy, <laughs> where he used to be the fuzz. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, so, another thing that we want to talk about, when we're talking about gods, of course, you got to talk about demigods. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is something that, until recently, I didn't really put too many demigods in my world. At the very least, you guys didn't come into contact with them. Yeah. I had a couple demigods, but never came into contact with them. Recently, you guys have come into contact with, off the top of my head, it, I think at least two, possibly three, but I can't really think of a, the there's, third one. I feel like there's three. There's the son of... Cord. The son of Cord. The yep. Son, Ramic, son of Cord. Uh, son of Nerul. Nerul. Uh, Those are the two ones we've actually had. Shadar, like, son of Nerul. Yeah, we've we've had relevant contact yes, with. Yes. Yep. If there's a third, it was probably like we talked to him, and you're like, I know he's a demigod. Yeah. And oh yeah. Well, we I'm. Don't. I think That's there close. has been that moment, but yeah. I can't think of it right now. But yeah, demigods are really cool. Uh, if you've already created a pantheon, I think the next step is uh, to throw a couple demigods in your campaign as NPCs. They're really, really fun. Uh, and so with demigods, there comes a whole bunch of things you got to think of. The first is, of course, the origins. Like, how did this, how did this demigod come about? Yeah. Uh, you think of Greek mythology. Yeah. Those gods were just promiscuous. <laughs> they were just, like, Zeus was running around. He had his wife, but he was just running yeah, around. He's got a whole litter of demigods. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, you know, so where did they come from? Was it that these gods took on human form and, you know, took a liking to a, a human or an elven or whatever it be, female or male? Or is it more of like a, they created them out of, out of the ground if it's a dwarf god perhaps they created them but if it's a gnome god perhaps they created them out of gems itself yeah and it could be like with the dwarven crafting like my masterpiece was exactly was the demigod the rest of them are pretty good but this is the one i got mm-hmm. right yeah um, what if a dwarf god created a dwarf out of adamantine <laughs> like that would be crazy con- you could just, just like, like Constitution Const- through the yeah. roof. Constant damage reduction, just like things that, like swords normally hit. Like he's the guy that catches the sword in his hands yeah. and there's no blood. You yeah. know, like that would be pretty Swords sh- sword shatter as they hit him. <laughs> and you're like, what the heck? Just came up with that all the time in my head. Totally going into my world. Dwarf, <laughs> dwarf demigod made out of adamantium. All right, my next player is going to be a dwarf. <laughs> um, yeah, and so the origins are something you want to think about. Going along with the origins, you want to figure out, so is are the origins secret? Meaning two things. Do they keep it secret from other people? Or are they outward about it? Because that's going to really change things. That's mm-hmm. going to change how the demigod's going to act. Because if they have some crazy power and they're trying to keep it secret, that at points is going to be really hard, especially if they're put in dangerous situations. Or are they completely open about it? They're just like, check me out. <laughs> like uh, yeah. That dwarf like is going to the bar and like saying, I bet you, you know, I bet you I can beat you with my hands tied behind my back, like, and you have a big battle axe. And of course, everybody's betting on the orc that he just, you know, and so they go at it's, it, and it's like he's just getting hit after hit in the face, and he's just like laughing about it. Oh, well, it's like that scene in Superman where the bullet hits him in the eye, exactly. And the just shatters. Or like Wolverine, <laughs> Superman, the, yeah. Or as you might like better, Wolverine in yes, the boxing yes. ring, and, and the the guy just like gets tired beating on him, and exactly. Like, Done. Um, yeah, there's a lot of cool things you can do, and then there's also like 
you can think about if it's physical features mm-hmm. that are amazingly through the roof, or if it's something more. Yeah, cognitive. can they even hide it exactly? Yeah. Like super strength is a little hard to hide if like you're still learning how to do it. There's the cartoon Hercules. Oh yeah, great where, like, movie. <laughs> where like he like picks up the wagon and it yep. just flies <laughs> in the air. It's like you can't. And hide it knocks that. down every pillar yeah. <laughs> and it creates the domino effect. Yeah. yeah. Everybody calling him menace because they they're like, oh, this kid is strong, but he's a freak. Yeah, pubescent demigod, great plot yeah. hook. Demigod having their origin revealed can be a very good thing because people can rally around it, or it can be a bad thing depending on what it is that we mentioned. Shadar, the demigod in my world, Shadar yeah. is the god, the son of Nerul, and he's is he evil? No, you guys have met him. He's not no, evil. He's a nice guy. He's a nice guy, a good guy, but he he doesn't know who he is. But the one thing he said to you guys, because I think you guys were like, you guys, you want to join us? You like, want to hang out with us, bro? You're pretty Chris, cool. Chris was like, uh, you want to become a rider of Shemesh? Yeah. Because like, he rides a Cerberus, and he's like, this guy's perfect. <laughs> but like the guy's just like, no, I'm not going to follow you. Death seems to follow me wherever I go. Yeah. And that's where you guys are like, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I, I will take this. the player credit of going. Hmm, there might yeah. be a connection. Cerberus death. The rules following us. The What's undead didn't really get bothered by him. <laughs> yeah, they just like looked past yeah. him. Didn't seem to see him. But yeah, so the secret, like the origin, can be secret. It can be out there. It totally changes mm-hmm. uh, what the demigod is doing and how people receive him. That being said, too, like we said, Shadar has no idea who his god is yeah. or who his father is. Uh, Hercules in the movie doesn't find out until he's a young man who his father is. I uh, go the distance. <laughs> there you go. So is their origin secret from even them? Do yeah. they have powers beyond normal means, beyond their control, that they don't even know where it came from? Uh, it can definitely add a whole thing into their the way they are as an NPC, a character in your world. Going along with that, uh, talking about Demigod's powers, like, their powers, whatever power they have, is probably going to go back to their parent. Yes. (laughs) If you have uh, the god Procon gives birth to a son, he's going to be really cool when it comes to seafaring campaigns. On land, he could live his whole life and never have any clue. Never notice. Yeah. Maybe, like, one day out of the blue, a goldfish talked to him. (laughs) But beyond that... just always thirsty. It's a flaw. (laughs) Whenever I'm near that lake in town, I hear somebody talking to me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, yeah, uh, you know, it's going to probably relate to them. Typically, with a demigod, it'll probably be, like, one thing's just out of whack um, as far as the deities. So, like... For example, the son of Cord probably has a strength score, just mm-hmm. amazingly through, and, and probably a constitution too. But yeah, yeah like he's yeah. he's a strong dude. Yeah, he just stats above thirty, just ridiculous modifiers and things like that, just amazingly high. And one stat, maybe a secondary stat that's not as amazing, but still pretty impressive. However, the son of Cord probably isn't going to get a huge boost to intelligence or mm-hmm. wisdom. Nope. He's probably just going to have a boost to those things that are relevant to his deity. In fact, that being said, if the god who bore them has a negative stat of any part of flaw, like they're probably going to inherit that as well. Yeah. If you have a giant deity, 
that gives birth to a half giant, you know, like <laughs> de- demigod. Like they could be super strong, big, but not that smart because most we giant, yeah, <laughs> most giant deities are probably not that smart. Uh, I feel like a demigod is your the min maxer's dream. Just like <laughs> max out that one stat, <laughs> add Give me twenty strength to of it. Forty four. <laughs> Uh, uh, wait, I can roll 16 d6s for this? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and re-roll once? Yeah. Um, there's also, like, you could get flaws of not necessarily huge deals. Uh, orc demigod of Grimash might just be born with one big eye. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, which could be, like, a huge blessing in orc culture. Yeah. Which, of course, would be pretty cool if you're a demigod orc. And then and he's going to even more be hated by other people because yeah. he looks like a freak. <laughs> Yeah, and that goes into his, their appearance. We've talked a lot about beast folk in this world, and so uh, you would not expect a, a god of uh, bear kind to give birth to a human. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, if he did it by some weird, like, ah, you know what, I'm going out night on the town, you know what, I'm thinking human today. <laughs> like, if that happened, that human would not be born looking like a normal human, human. Real hairy. Real least. hairy. Have like long fingernails. Now I'm thinking you brought up Wolverine Sabretooth. Yeah. <laughs> there <Saber> you go. <laughs> but, um, but the yeah, bear def- guy from Lord of the Rings too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Oh, Bjorn. Uh, yeah, Bjorn. Bjorn. If we're talking dragon deities and there's a, a dragonborn you have a gold dragon deity going to come out, probably a gold, gold dragonborn, dragon which is pretty sweet. Yeah. Uh, there's, I don't think they're standard full, uh, gold dragon wars, Dragon but, demigods. Uh, hey, oh, you know, he's dragon and demigods. Yeah. So it's, it's a crazy dragon. We're talking epic level campaigns. Oh, we're point. talking epic, epic level campaigns. <laughs> a god of the merfolk, if they decide to wander on land and uh, have relations with a human or an elf. Like, that child is going to possibly come out with gills and not like being there. Something seems a little fishy They might die if you don't throw them into the, like, sink really quick. Free Willy, keep the hose on. Yeah, so, like, appearance. If it doesn't, if your child is not, like, this demigod doesn't come out looking normal, it's going to be pretty hard to hide it. And if they, if their parents do hide it, they might be walking around their entire life with a cloak over their head or the parents pretend like they don't have a kid or they, like, the cloak thing, like... Pretending like, oh, he has a disease, or, you know, like, it's not going to bother, like, it's not contagious, but, you know, we keep him wrapped up because he's sensitive about, you, you know, could, his appearance. You could almost have, like, the um, the fantasy version of Stephen Hawking, kind of, like, intelligence through the roof, but, like, kind of mangled. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, not to be mean to him, but, like, <laughs> like, put that, put his condition in a fantasy setting, and it's a very different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and even giving him the inability to communicate, but his intelligence is so oh, high that brilliant. he can like to p- telepathically talk. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. When it comes to demigods, too, you probably want to think about their motives. Uh, we we talked about Shadar, son of Nerul from my world. His motives are not like his parents. He doesn't know that Nerul is his dad. But he harbors much hate towards Nerul. Doesn't know, yeah. but he just hates Nerul. He's always just like, I don't like that guy. Yeah. <laughs> and clearly he has daddy issues. Yeah, he has daddy issues without <laughs> even knowing it. Very subconscious yeah. there. But yeah, like, are their motives like-minded when it comes to their parents? Are they very loyal to their parents? Or are they completely rebellious? Or, like, rebellious being like, I'm not listening to you, Dad. Yeah. Or is it downright, like, hate? Maybe, like, we talked about the appearance possibly being a problem. Maybe they hate their godly parent for making them the way they are. They see it more of a curse, this mm-hmm. this power that they have or this look that they have. 
And so the next thing that we want to talk about kind of plays off of the demigods. We want to talk about ascended gods. And so we talk about that because maybe some of these demigods have their motives are to now become a god themselves. They've had that taste. They don't relate well to to the mortals because they are a little bit different than mortals. Yep. And so they want to ascend. Well, there's the, again, the Disney Hercules mm-hmm. of he's looking for somewhere where he belongs. There's a song. I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> Come on. Um, <laughs> but then also, he at the end of the movie, he achieves godhood through his actions. Yeah. Now, he but, denies it, but yeah. Yeah, and like Disney, they mess with that myth plenty. But it, it's an effective lore in and of itself. Mm-hmm. You just can't apply it to Greek mythology. Exactly. Yeah, so uh, you can create gods in your world that are ascended. Uh, now this plays interesting with like your the history of your world because at different time points now ascended gods are probably not going unless they ascended on a different plane than the one that your world is. That would probably mean that these are are they mortals? Are they angels? Demons? Demigods? That ascended into godhood? And when in your history does it happen? It could happen early on. It could happen late in your world. But it's it's not going to be at the creation of the world because they weren't around. Like, yeah. unless we said, unless they're from a different plane and they ascended there. Um, St. Cuthbert is believed to once have been a mortal man. Yeah. Uh, there's no story as far as I know behind that, at least none that I've ever read, but uh, that is part of the mythology of St. Cuthbert. Believed to once been a, a mortal a man, mortal so he human. would have, at some point, by some means, ascended. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting take on having gods that have ascended. You have to decide how do they ascend. Like we said, it could be mortals, demigods, angels, demons. Uh, were they chosen by like different gods? Like uh-huh. they said, all right, you. If it's like an angel, you are good enough. Exactly. Finally, you have proven yourself. We've talked about uh, the aeons a little bit. Yeah. They are not technically angels, but they're beings that served. Uh, the gods of my world at the creation of the world, they basically walked around. They're these ginormous creatures, uh, and they just, like, shape the world. They, like, they shape the mountains. They shape out uh, the tunnels of the Underdark. They go around. They don't really pay attention to the mortals that are walking around. Like, uh, you guys saw one of them briefly in your travels. They're just huge. They're bigger than the mountains. They're shaping mountains. They're they're making the forest. And uh, there's this one god that is a D&D god Urbanus and Urbanus I decided I made him into an aeon that the god said you you did well you uh, because this aeon is the one that they decided hey you make our home plane and so they create this oh, aeon yeah. created their home plane did such a good job with it they're like we're going to make you a god now <laughs> so Urbanus uh, who is now the god of cities uh, in my world and uh, I got to bring up Urbanus in a in a future episode because I, I made him pretty sweet, I think. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, like how did they become gods? Were they chosen? You got the demigod, like you said, like Hercules, like yeah. Zeus said, you have proven yourself worthy. Come and join me. <laughs> uh, so there's that. Did they fig- find some hidden power uh, somewhere in the world, whether that's magic, you guys experienced in the sons of Bastion campaign, the, at least the story of Al Hoon, we've talked about the mind flayer, that achieved godhood, yeah. and luckily Bastion killed them right at that moment, yeah. <laughs> like before he wrecked some he havoc. Get some more messes going. <laughs> yeah, but he like searched for hidden power and found some arcane way to finally achieve godhood and become a god. Also, it, it could be a stolen kind of power. We talked about gods dying. Like, what happens when the god dies? Do you absorb their power? Is that 
possibly a thing? Is that how you ascend to godhood? If you're immortal and you kill a god? Before we jump into some more specifics about other things you want to think about when it comes to your pantheon, we have to talk about this option. Godless worlds. Now, what do we mean by godless worlds? First off, we talked about the false gods. A world where people worship false gods, perhaps the whole entire world, the worship Everything of the gods is false. Yeah, every god that's worshipped is false. You could, once again, have maybe it's a monotheism that is unknown because there's that one false god, <laughs> the yeah. god of, and he's the old, like all those gods are false, <laughs> and he's the one. <laughs> that would definitely be an interesting take. He's the troll god. And maybe he's yeah. Maybe you mad, bro? <laughs> maybe crazy. all those gods were real at a time, and he just kept getting more powerful. Like you said, and killed them all and kept taking their worshippers. As soon as a god dies, if their worshippers don't stop worshiping, then he's getting out. They're a false god, so he's getting more powerful. So a godless world, meaning like maybe without the god of deceit, you have just false gods. Now that brings up what we were kind of talking about before, where is that divine power coming from then? Is there divine power? Well, the divine power could, A, just be something like a arcane 2.0, yeah. or arcane Some other force, yeah. Yeah, something that's, it's not a magic of the origin of a deity providing it, but doing those words and those motions in such a way create a different flavor of magic other than the arcane. Another way to do it is that certain people are blessed with the ability to do these things, mm -hmm. and those people are brought to a point where their life brings them to be a cleric of whoever. Yeah, and so they're, in this world, maybe like you're saying, cleric is not a chosen class that you choose. It's a class that chooses you. Yeah. Uh, only certain people are, like the the prophets, the, the clerics, the chosen priests of these false gods that aren't really there, they're chosen because they demonstrate some magical power. Yeah. And people are like, you obviously have been chosen by this god. You are blessed by so and Exactly. So, and that <laughs> is how you can do these things. Mm -hmm. Now, it would be fun to kind of leave that up to those abilities up to chance and, like, secretly give those abilities to a player who's not a cleric. In that kind of world, yeah. And, like, and give them this moment where they're, like, a PC is really hurt and they run over and just be like, I'm going to put a potion in them. And you, like, maybe from behind the screen, do, like, a cure minor wound <laughs> spell for them. And, you know, there's those funny little things where you could have a character who's not a cleric, but religious for some reason. And, and not only is he... <laughs> yeah, not only does that D8 health potion bring that character up to full health, but gives them a temporary, like, extra 20 health points, yeah. <laughs> like, kind of thing. Like, and everybody at the table is just going, what? Like, Why? But, and, that's, and that's the thing that also comes up if you're going to choose this false god system uh, where there aren't no true gods like do you tell your players that or is that something you as the dm know and possibly reveal in your world years in down some the way, line form, yeah. yeah or even let them try to figure out like we said what if they find out that this god is false but the magic is still coming so what does that mean like yeah. then let them see if they can piece it together one of my favorite things as dm is watching you guys when I have mysteries in my world. Like, you still you threw it in a little bit earlier in this podcast. You want to know, is the my world flat or round? Like, <laughs> you want to go on that adventure. But I love seeing you guys 
like put together clues, whether they're clues that I actually put out there or you think I put it out there and they aren't related at all, and trying to figure out things of my campaigns, of my world. Like, I love that. So, so like, yeah, you can create a false god world, just not tell your players and see if they can put it together by little clues that you drop on them. Another idea of a godless world is a world that the gods have abandoned. The gods were there. At one time, the gods were here, and now the gods have left us, leaving a much sour taste in the mortal's mouth. Yeah. Possibly the gods left because, well, we got better things to do. Possibly the gods left. Time for a new plane. Exactly. Possibly the gods left because, hey, these mortals, they don't deserve our love. They aren't good worshipers. Uh, we're starting over somewhere else. Exactly. Like, time for a new plane, like you said. Possibly the gods left because the mortals at one time rejected them and betrayed them. Maybe they're good deities. The mortals, like, totally just betrayed them, betrayed, like, didn't worship them in the correct way. Screw you guys. I'm going home. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so the gods were like, oh, we have to forsake them. We're leaving. And maybe there's talk or prophecies about the gods returning one day. But a godless world in that sense where the gods have vanished, well, there's stories, uh, there's there's legends and stories about those clerics, those priests, those prophets that had powers through the gods. Hundreds of years ago, miracles were yeah. rampant. And now Healers there's none of that. And, 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 you know, you could even do it at a time of transition, a campaign of, like, what do you do when the divine magic suddenly stops? Mm -hmm. My world has that the gods all leave because there's a gods war on the material plane they like use it as a battlefield then they all leave during that time period there's no clerics running around healing it's all i gotta be with health potions now because there's no divine magic coming out anymore <laughs> so adventurers finally have stuff to spend all that gold on. <laughs> exactly right uh but that's that's huge like whenever we play a D, D game a cleric is an important part most people would say a cleric is a huge part of the party because you need that healer. If not a cleric, you need a druid or some kind of thing. If you play in a world where the gods have left, there's no clerics running around. That not only changes the way that like your adventure party works, but people get hurt, they're probably going to die. There's no bringing them to the Temple of Pelor to hopefully get healed by the priest. There's none of that. Now, you also can have, like, shysters walking around saying, I, I can do that. And, like, you know... Bunch of noggles. Bunch of noggles, exactly. <laughs> like, walking around pretending like they're healing. I mean, we've seen that in real life. People will do that. And, like, they put on these shows, and, it like, you could have that in a and d world that the gods have left. Like, um, and whether they say, oh, the god... The gods are come back. I have these powers, and, uh, which would make mortals even more skeptical of the gods coming back. And some would say they never existed in the first place. Yep. the The last option with that is that there were never any gods in this world at all. So, does that mean it's that false god mentality? Never any gods, but people still have worship of the gods, or is it a very atheistic world where gods are not worshipped? <laughs> Just really like bleak. There's not a lot of hope in the fact, like, there's something more. Um, you could even have that perspective of, like, all people know that when you die, you're dead. There's, mm -hmm. like, that, that nothingness, that atheistic Maybe that was revealed in some way, that yeah. there are no gods here. Yeah. It's not even a, there are no gods here because the concept of gods is so foreign. Yeah. Because there are no gods. Yeah. Uh, so, there's this and there's nothingness. Mm -hmm. That is all. Or they, they used <clears throat> to have false gods. They found out all those gods were false, and now the whole world is pretty much accepted. There's no gods. Like, that's that's the old way. We don't listen to the old way. The people who still do are crazy. There's clearly no gods. 
and how does that how does that shape your world once again there's no divine magic there's no resurrection which as a dm i say is a good thing yeah <laughs> uh death is death as a player uh, i agree <laughs> nice but yeah so uh how does that work with your world it changes a lot all right so that's that's all the kind of systems i would say of uh, a pantheon that you want to think about when you're putting together the pantheon or no pantheons of your world. Now we want to talk about a couple other things that uh, will go into that creative process of, all right, well, I've picked out some gods. Now what? Now what do I do? Uh, what's my next step? The first thing we want to talk about is divine politics. When you come to the decision of one pantheon world, uh, racial pantheons, when you come to different pantheons for uh, different regions, whatever it is, who's in charge? <laughs> Who's in charge of the one pantheon? Who's in charge of the many pantheons? That's a that's a big factor. We're, we keep on going back to Greece as a yeah. as an option. Uh, Greece, if you watch movies and hear stories of the Greek pantheon, they had this almost it's like a forum, yeah, style. forum it's, style. It's, like they all yeah. come together to talk. Hades will come to talk to Zeus, even though he's been banished. Even in the Bible, this forum-ish thing happens. Even though it's a monotheistic religion, you have Satan in the book of Job appear to God in, like, almost it seems like this forum-type style. Like, yeah. I'm here to share my case with you about Job. But, like, they all meet in this, like, council room, and, and they talk about things. It's like the system of government for the gods. Almost a republic kind of feel. But yeah. at the same time, Zeus is the big dog. Yeah. He's it's, in charge. It's kind of like a presidential kind of vibe yeah. where it's, you know, lots of people have power, mm -hmm. but when a decision has to come down to one person, he's judge, jury, that's and executioner. <laughs> and that's a really cool system to kind of apply in the fact that, like, okay, if there's a pantheon and you have a bunch of worshipers and they kind of spread, divided by the power, you have to understand where the power lies. Mm -hmm. And. Obviously, the most powerful guy is going to have the most worshippers. Exactly. What happens if there's a shift? Yep. So, say, God number two suddenly gets three guys to change over, and that's enough to tip the scales. What does that do to the, not only... There's a coup. <laughs> yeah. Not only the fact of, like, who's in charge, but how does that change the world if the God of Earth no longer is in charge, but the God of Sky or Air suddenly becomes in charge? Does that make it that suddenly there's new races popping up all around with wings and like the earth-based races are slowly fading mm -hmm. there's when that power shifts how does that impact your world exactly you can also think of it as very human types of government you got in asgard in north mythology you have a king king mm -hmm. odin he has sons who are princes they will be the future king uh, by the way, have you ever seen pictures of King Odin old, or old King Thor when he becomes, when Odin no. dies? Oh my gosh, oh. you gotta look it up. It's sweet. He has like lost his arm. He's got like this sweet arm that he puts on and takes off. He's carrying his hammer. He's carrying Odin's sword. He looks ill. You need to see it. Um, but yeah, so so the different government systems can exist in a god type system. So those divine politics come into play. Uh, family, like we said too, with like Odin and Thor and Loki, comes into play. Who is related to who, and, and that's how. and how? Yeah, brother, cousin, like, does it matter? Like, yeah. Or, and that that can play different roles. You can have two brothers that get along, and when they come to that council of gods, you know that unfortunately they get two votes, but you're never convincing them to fight against each yeah. other. 
then you could also have something completely different. In my world, Peronius and Hextor are brothers, but they are complete opposite ends of the spectrum. They yeah. hate each other, and so they're not going to be agreeing. They're the opposite. Well, there's Bahamut and Tiamat are siblings. Yes. They're kind of siblings. They're like the god of dragons got cut in half and yeah. the two halves. So they're siblings. Quote, unquote, quotes. yeah. yeah. But even, even they could be siblings in your world. Yeah. They're very different. Of course, you can make them both very similar if you decide that in your world. Yeah. But yeah, like family is going to play a role as far as gods. Or does it not? Are they above such things? Are no gods related? That's something you want to think about. When it comes down to divine politics, something to think about is uh, how do they, how is their concern with mortals? Like, are they gods that are loving, caring gods and they care for their worshipers? And each god can be different. Like, some may and some may not. Or are they gods that, well, they are so powerful that they're like Dr. Manhattan from Watchmen, <laughs> where it's like, I can't even relate to you ants. Like, well, that's like Bacab in your world, kind of? Yeah, well, Bacab is pretty, yeah. Bacab in my world, and he's he's like this in D&D yeah. lore, but he's very uncaring. And so he's created the, the one thing he's really done for humanity is he created the arcane humans. There's uh, only a number of them over the years, over a couple hundreds of years that are created. And he basically did that because most of the good pantheon was like, dude, you gotta like care about these people more. <laughs> like we came to this plane and he was like, get off my back. I'll send him so I'll send him Bastion Windsailer. <laughs> like leave me alone. You care so I don't have to. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And unfortunately, Bastion for most of his life didn't care too much. He, <laughs> he inherited a lot of. Uh, <laughs> he was good, but he was like a little. He was he was that like crossover of I'm so intelligent and so like beyond normal humans that I can't relate all the time. Yeah. Like, you guys dealt with that in the guild. <laughs> like you guys sometimes would explain things to him and he'd just be like, shut up, like this is not not important. Grumpy old man syndrome. Uh, but yeah, like that's like are they concerned with mortals? Are they completely not? Regardless, I think that gods should always have their own agendas that not all of them are going to be known to to the mortals. <laughs> and why why should they be? They like they're not going to always explain things to their worshipers that's not why would they <laughs> yeah. like so there should be secret agendas things that are going on between the gods if we if if the mortals all understand the gods what makes the gods gods like yeah. they need to have this level of removed from the mortals uh the next thing is where do the gods come from where do they live a big part of this that goes into the creation of your world is did the gods of your pantheon create the world in which your players are playing in? Or did they come to it after creation? That's going to change a, a lot of things, I would say. I mean, did they create the, the races of this world? Or did they come and just adopt the races of this world? Mm -hmm. So did it have a very scientifical kind of creation to it? Like a is Big it, Bang kind is of it thing? a planet with you know, all that stuff yep. that goes along with it? And maybe even the gods are just aliens. You know, that's in Super a lot powerful of, like, aliens. That's yep. in some weird religions nowadays. Yeah. And, you know, how does that impact things? Do, do the gods literally fly here and come down from, quote, the heavens mm -hmm. and influence things? And their magic is actually just science? There's a lot of cool stuff you can do with that. Did they create the world? Like, And if they did, did they work on different regions? I think of uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. I'm going to shoot for the stars and hope that I get this name right. Slar Slarty Bardfast? Like, something like that? Like, you know what I'm talking about? And he's like, he, like, is part of the, like, people the who created Earth. Yeah, yeah. And he's, 
he's like, oh, Norway, that's some of my finest work. Like, <laughs> but, like, is like you could meet with, if you ever meet a god, like, they might say, like, oh, yeah, I created that region or the mountains of that region or whatever. Uh, so did they create the world? Did they create the races within, the monsters, the creatures? Where did, like, it, every if they did, then everything has an origin in the gods, it's, uh, except for possibly arcane magic like maybe yeah. that's that force uh, or did they come to this plane that was already created and they just adopt and maybe the plane was created but the races weren't and that's what they created yep. they filled the world exactly another thing is do so where do they live do they live all together like the good gods do they live on one plane all together or do they all live on scattered planes you would you would assume maybe that the good and evil gods at least probably live on two different planes but then again they could also live on a huge plane of their own one yeah, plane of their own the which they plane. yeah they fight for control of it all the time to look at D's lore a little bit you have a ton of different planes yeah. uh, we're not going to go into the planes because yeah, that's so a whole nother episode yeah. and there's uh, like each deity has their own like little micro plane yep, exactly they have their, their little spots and in their plane. size is proportional to their power and which is great if you're playing with the D&D planes because you can just look up different gods, see where they live, and go, well, we might go there someday. That's yeah. a whole other place to go. The, the really cool thing about the like microplanes of the deities is that in the lore and there, they can only die on the plane mm-hmm. that they made. Because really any cool. time that they're killed somewhere not there, they're just banished to their home plane, mm-hmm. and then they can recover however they like. But they're also their most powerful on their home plane and can actually go, I want the Earth to open up and swallow you. And the Earth <laughs> listens. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so there's all these different types of planes that the gods live on. To name just a couple, because we're not going to go into them, but there's gods like Lolth, uh, the drow god, spider god, that she lives in the abyss somewhere. <laughs> That's where she lives. There's a lot of creatures that are going to live in the, the abyss. Yanogu lives in the abyss. Yeah. Uh, Arithnal, I believe, lives in the uh, in the abyss. Yeah. Uh, you have Bokob and Obadhai. They live in a plane called the Outlands. Uh, Kord and Oladamara live in Yisgard, which uh, is taken right out of it's, Norse mythology. Yeah, it's um, just this, this cool palace kind of exactly. thing. Exactly. And I, I think it's kind of funny that those two are together... But then at the yeah. same time, it's like chaotic buddies. Um, <laughs> well, so. I, in in my world, Cord uh, actually really likes Old Demar. He often he calls him the funny man because <laughs> 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 he's always playing pranks. But Old Demar is a little too scared to pull pranks on Cord because <laughs> he well, will beat the crap like out of him. Right? Bugs everybody yeah. else. <laughs> uh, yeah, like Pelor lives in the plane of Elysium. Celestia is Bahamut. Heronius, Morden, Yondala. So all these gods can have all different planes in which they live in. And like you said, adding that, like, they can only die in their plane adds a different element to it. And now you have all these tons of planes that you can possibly go to one day as a campaign. Woo! Epic level. And that brings up one of the... Another point is, these planes that the gods exist to, can mortals go to these planes? Uh, Is there a way? Is there, like... Uh, some way that they, through arcane magic or whatever that they can open a portal. Uh, we saw in our campaign in Shemesh, like a portal in the air opened in which 
creatures came through. Yeah. And the question is, so... And I think one of the questions that you guys were wondering, too, is can things still come through with that yeah. ring? And that's why you were very, like, protective of that ring with Wesley. Well, Chris was talking about that recently on the pod. What do you, yeah. what do you think? Chris, Chris has stated uh, that Wesley is evil. That is his... That is his. Uh, we're gonna take a. We're gonna pause the show <laughs> for a minute, just talk about Wesley Wonders. Uh, what is your prediction, Wesley? Evil, good. What do you I think? don't believe he's evil. I think he's he's good with good motives. Chris was very concerned about like his ability to like get corrupted by mm-hmm. this ring, but I'm I'm more of the elk ring. More than likely, divide magic. Wesley, arcane magic. He doesn't give a crap about what the ring can do, mm-hmm. other than like learning from it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I like Wesley. I have no suspicion of him. I also have more... I was part of those sessions where Wesley was like, I care about this kid kind of stuff with a zombie sheep kid. Cause mm-hmm. he, was, he was... Well, Chris Chris pointed out, and I had to remind Chris that there weren't necromancy spells. It was spell failure. But he was like, and there was the zombie sheep, and he had Wesley's book. But So Chris has said... Yeah, yeah. Chris said, you heard it here first, Wesley's evil. You're saying the exact opposite? I am, I am saying Chris is wrong. <laughs> Never respect anything Vote Wesley. Chris Ooh, no, no. <laughs> I gotta cut that out. That's, <laughs> oh, gosh, Chris is not gonna like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, okay, so you're saying Wesley good. I think Wesley is good. Cool. Uh, do you think you guys made that right choice with the ring? With um, not giving it to Wesley? I would have rather given it to Wesley than... I think we gave it to what the king. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. He didn't have a choice at that point. But yeah, I think there's more corruptible people in the political world than this dude who we trust and lived with for some time. Hmm. Okay, well we'll have to see. Uh, we'll we'll hear more about that. I'm sure at some point. Tune into a story. Uh, you guys time. will play it, and we'll hear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll hear in story time. So uh, yeah, can you get to the plains? Where do the gods live? That's that's an interesting part you want to think about uh, when you're thinking about the gods, uh, where they live, going along with where they live going along with their politics, the war between gods. Is there a war between gods? If you have evil and good gods, there probably is. And so one of the things that comes into play, especially when you go back to the whole one pantheia, different pantheas, racial pantheas, is how many sides are there. Is there the good and the evil side? Is there a good, neutral, evil side? Are there all different factions of sides um, how many sides are there? Are they all in this big war? Are they different wars together? Yeah. Are there, I mean, they're gods. They're super powerful beings. So it could, it, it, more than actual war, it could also just boil down to, I don't like you. Yeah. <laughs> and, and hence, we're going to fight. And, and that becomes war on the material plane yeah. between the followers. And the sides could even go so far as to follow like the true 3x3 three three alignment system. Where it's like, you know, the lawful good deity still has tension with the chaotic good mm-hmm. deity. And so there there might not be, like, full-on war, but espionage war behind exactly. the scenes. And then you have, like, the true neutral deities who are just kind of like, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, and then you have to ask the question, well, what are they fighting over? Why are they fighting? Is it just like you said, like, well, these guys are good and these guys are evil, so they're going to fight. <laughs> like, yeah. Or, like, is it... Do they only have one plane of existence, and so they're fighting over the control of that plane? Is it their... One going back to worshippers and praise giving them power, so they're battling it out for worship of mortals because that's where their power comes from. And then where do they fight? Are they fighting on their own plane? Or like in Atos where they there was this gods war and they pretty much brought the battle to the material plane of Atos 
Like, and Atos got pretty wrecked after that. Yeah. Do they fight in the material plane? You guys at one point saw Pelor strike down Erebus and kill kill them in a campaign where somebody else ran it. But they played in my world, and I kind of led them to like, okay, you could have this cool moment where Pelor strikes down Erebus, and you saw per- Pelor kill Erebus, and this hu- it was like these huge creatures were fighting. Yeah. You guys were on a mountaintop, and so they were larger yeah. than life. We like fighting in the plane. Looked, and it was like one of those things where you could like feel their like steps. Yeah, the, the blows like shook the mountain. And it was like, you were on. <laughs> and it was like miles and miles away, but it was like you know you're watching it right mm-hmm. up close. And yeah, just to see that moment was really cool. And like kind of go, wait, that's that's a god. Yeah. Like, and to take that from the player perspective, the the PC character who I was thinking. Like, level seven at the time and it's like <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know what it, you know what you were saying like oh it, like look so far away you know what came to mind for me yeah. it's arrested development where tobias gets in the mole suit and attacks <laughs> the fake town <laughs> if you know what i'm talking about all right yeah anyway yeah so uh why are the gods fighting that plays a huge bit into your world and your pantheon yeah we've talked about this a little bit but let's talk about it a little bit more uh, the question comes into play when you're talking about the gods of your world can they die? They're clearly immortal beings, but elves, too, are immortal in the sense a lot of lore, they don't die, but they can be killed. Yeah. Uh, they will not die of natural means in, like, Tolkien lore, but they can die, uh, mm-hmm. and it is a big deal when elves die. So how much more would it be a big deal if a god died? First of all, the answer, can they die? You could answer with no. No. <laughs> they can't die. Which, but that's boring. Well, I agree. Well, and and then you have then you have to go back to the question of the war between gods, and so isn't it pointless? And you and here's my argument with that: No, it doesn't have to be pointless because gods don't have to die. They can be caged. They can be imprisoned. Uh, they can have all their power taken away from them. Exactly. Um, maybe the way that a god dies in your world is all their power is stripped of them, and they become mortal and get thrown to earth, like you were talking about earlier, and then they just have to live as a mortal person, and to them that's going to be like cursed. Like, I used to be able to create feasts with a single thought. Now I can't get a scrap of bread without having to steal from the marketplace. How does does a fallen deity function in a world where they can't snap their fingers and have something to eat? Yeah. I feel like they would get beaten up a lot in the playground yeah, like, really quickly. Like, the god walks up to them. Bring me food! Mortal, fetch this for me! <laughs> exactly. Like, no, dude! <laughs> and it's a dude who worshipped him in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you're a jerk! <laughs> you look familiar, but... <laughs> yeah, but I don't like you. <laughs> exactly. So, so. so no or yes is the other option. And so how do they die? We talked about four. couple options. Lack of worship. The prayers and praise of their worshippers is quiet now. There's nothing coming. Uh, for whatever reasons, mortals have no longer, they no longer want to praise or pray to this god. And so they fade away, they're forgotten, they die. Um, they shrivel up, they die, whatever they it is. fade into irrelevance. Exactly. A star from the sky falls, and that is that god. Another option is maybe they can die, but they can only be killed by other gods. Yeah. That makes it an interesting bit of lore. The other bit of lore is what if they can be killed by mortals? Like, uh-huh. a mortal killing a god well, that's, can that's, be a crazy... And that's a crazy... That's yeah. not going to happen all the time. Yeah, that's been, like, epic-level player campaigns. Where, exactly. you know, you hunt down the evil god, or you play evil characters, and you hunt down the good god. 
and you still have to be like level 60 just to be And I feel powerful. like you still need to in my mind it only makes sense that the only way that's being achieved even at that point is by catching that god off guard, yep, stabbing him in the back and probably having some ultimate weapon that can actually pierce the skin yes. of a god. Yeah. It's not going to be like, I'm here to beat you, buddy. <laughs> like, Let's like go. it's a god. Like, yeah. He's not even going to need to be in the same place to fight you. He's going to appear behind you. He's going to think, and you're going to be dead. I don't care what level you're deities. at. It needs to be out of some trickery that a mortal is going to kill a god. And 3.5 deities have a feat that is, um, you assume all rolls are 20. <laughs> That's great. Um, you still roll the dice because if a crit one happens, yeah, the bad thing happens. Yeah. But but everything else. But is... every other number is treated as though you rolled a you twenty roll a on nat the die. twenty. <laughs> Not a nat twenty because okay. the number is twenty. Gotcha. And then on a crit one and a nat twenty, the things are a little bit different. That's crazy. So all of their attacks are like twenty plus fifty something. <laughs> Going back to the only gods can kill, uh, maybe only one god can kill. Maybe there's a god who they are appointed the, like, judge and executioner to gods. Uh, you have broken the code of the gods, and thus, they, like, maybe this god only appears to sentence another god to death. That'd be a pretty crazy like god. Like a god of gods? Like, this is who the gods worship. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so it's like, like, even that, maybe that god is okay with evil, good. He's a true neutral god. But maybe... They're all about fate or something. And so you you deviate from the path that was set out, the course that that ultimate god gave to you, and that god is like, all right, see you later. Yeah, and <laughs> You're you dead. Could, you could even take it so far as to, okay, so when he decides to eliminate god A, does he go to the material plane and seek out a mortal there, demigod to, or to ascended, raise up yep. to that spot? Or an like, angel, or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, exactly. And how does that personality change change everything? Yeah. Or does he possibly grant that god's powers to another god that already has powers, and now it's a, a god who deals with two different things and has become that much more powerful? Yeah. And then, so the last question, we just kind of talked a little bit about it, but so if a god can die, what then happens if the god dies? Again, is there a power shift? Does that god now... The worshippers of this that god, like, well, I guess the other god won. Uh, uh, maybe we'll start worshiping him now. <laughs> like, yeah. Or is, do they go? Let's worship the guy that was clo- most closely aligned. Uh, yep. With him. You talked about um, what happens if a god who's king gets killed by another god. Does that god then become king? Uh, and then the god who killed that god probably is very different than that god, and thus the rule is going to be very different. I thing. have I have like this mental image of like in the Lion King. When Scar takes over, and somehow that just like ravages the land. Oh yeah, everything's just like <laughs> hyenas everywhere. Like, first of all, how do you in like a year, several years time, create like ultimate famine, <laughs> destroy in the an ecosystem, area, and like <laughs> one line, yeah, you completely ruin the ecosystem to the point where they they're starting to hunt out so far. But then Simba takes over, and it's like. Two hours later, whoa, magic! Yeah. The, oh, yeah. the savannah's back and fixed. Oh, um, and there's, there's only one male lion with Scar too. Yeah. It's just like, he is like the evil Mac Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's pretty messed up. But yeah, yeah. Like, what happens with that power shift? Also, like a god dies, is there just a void? 
the god of forest dies, there's no god of forest. What happens and there's, to the forest? Yeah, what happens to the forest? There's nobody to take care of the forest, no protector of the forest. Now the orcs that are going, maybe all the ants shrivel up and die. And so the orcs that go to chop down the trees, they're just able to burn them up. Changes the world completely, depending or, on what gods there are. Or if one of the, that god was keeping that forest under control. Mm-hmm. And its growth Ooh, yeah, exactly. And starts like it's the almost like the trees of the are forest is yeah, not and like the trees are almost walking to town, metaphorically speaking, to the point where your town is going to get engulfed with <laughs> this just like dreaded forest. Yeah, and then that also changes the worshippers of that world. Like we've stated, well, their divine magic is no longer bringing anything. So pretty quickly, I think a lot of the worshippers in that world would just pass on by, go to another god. They wouldn't be worshipping that god anymore. I think you'd have some zealots that would stay behind and claim, no, 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 like, he's he's there. Hard enough yeah. to be back. He's coming, yeah, it's because you're leaving. And like we said, maybe that is why, that <laughs> because there's no prayers. But uh, a god dying or not is a huge part, I think, that you need to think about with the gods in your world. Another part is, are your gods perfect? They're gods. Are they the epitome of perfection or are they flawed what do you what do you like better perfect gods um, or flawed gods in real life me as a person love perfect gods. <laughs> yeah right perfect um, god <laughs> i would prefer my gods perfect in reality in dungeons and dragon for pretend i love flaws yeah they're i i'm right next to fluffle jared and in the seeing of like i want mistakes to be seen i i want to feel like my reality and my game setting are different and a good way to do that is polytheism and flawed gods and it's just not interesting if all of them are just squeaky clean and yeah. all good and yeah i i agree completely so and that's that's a decision you as a listener when you're creating your world have to make are my gods perfect or are they flawed that per flawed does not mean not powerful yeah. <laughs> not godly flawed means that gods if they're flawed can make mistakes uh, if they're perfect they make no mistakes everything that happens and that's an interesting thing too everything that happens is the way that the gods want them to happen uh, that's also comes into contact with well they're warring so does that mean the evil gods are flawed and the because yeah. and i would say yeah the evil gods have to be flawed <laughs> like that's a big part of evil gods yeah um but yeah like so are the good gods everything they do is they make no mistakes but if they're flawed like you can have good gods that they make mistakes. They don't do the right thing all the time. And that, to me, makes it makes it so much more interesting, like you said. And that, like, Dr. Manhattan, I'm far above you. I don't get things from a mortal perspective. And so they, on occasion, do the wrong thing that screws over mortals yeah. big time. Well, you can have a god who's, like, incredibly promiscuous. He's <laughs> just got the flock of demigods yeah. all over the place. And so you keep on running into these guys who, it'd be funny if it was a demigod who can't really, like... His powers just aren't useful, like a Farlang who just wants to experience the women of every nation. Um, and so he's got a bunch of kids who are just like, I can walk real far. I don't really like staying in one place, but <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> flawed gods, one of the things that I really like about flawed gods, and you've seen this happen in my world, is if a god is flawed and they make mistakes... Does that mean that they can change alignments? If a god is perfect, it's not changing alignments. It's going to stay the same. They're constant. That's part of that perfection is a constantness. But if a god is flawed, they can easily change alignment. 
Uh, you you know in my world that after the God's War, Heronius goes from lawful good to lawful neutral. And you saw through the rise of the utopian quote-unquote empire yeah. uh, that lawful neutral paladins are not always the greatest thing. <laughs> it's, that, it's the law! Exactly. That can be a huge factor in flawed gods. Possibly they change their motives and their alignments down the line. With a flawed god system, can mortals argue with a god? Well, if they're perfect, you can't argue with a god. You can never say the god. You is can, wrong but you're going to be wrong every time. Yeah. If the god is flawed, uh, you might throw some doubt into that god's mind, possibly, yeah. or you might be arguing what is right, and the god doesn't care because they're flawed, and their arrogance is part of that flaw. Yeah. And I think that is a huge reason I like that flawed system because. Gods are that idea of superior in power, and superior in power a lot of times equals arrogance and emotionally removed from people who are not in a position of power, yeah. which to gods is everyone besides gods. Yeah. <laughs> so what about time with gods? How do your gods perceive time? Gods are immortal beings, whether they can die or not, they've got that they don't die of natural causes. As being immortal beings, you're going to view time in a some sort of different way. <laughs> like, year of human life might seem pretty long to a yeah. human. It's not that big a deal for a god. Nothing to it. A blip yeah. on the scale for yeah. a god. A thousand years to a god is could be like a year to yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. They have worshippers, and that would come into play with, well, maybe that's why those gods don't care too much about their... They're demigod sons and daughters because you're only going to be alive for a hundred years. <laughs> I blink and you're dead. <laughs> like It is not the same. And so I think uh, making your gods possibly perceive time differently is a really interesting way to do it. Yeah. I think the biggest way that's going to apply to a campaign or a session is gods are incredibly patient relative to a human sense of urgency. So it's like if there's a sect or a group that's like super anti a god... He will just be like, I'll wait for him to die out. It's not that big a deal. I'm not going to reach down and waste my energy to smite this group that's going to be dead in a hundred years exactly. anyway. It's maybe once that group gets a little bit bigger and doesn't seem to be like fading anymore, that the guy goes, okay, I should do something about this. But if it's just this little group that's just like a party of six player characters that's like, I'm on a vendetta against this god, they're going to be like, you guys are going to die of old age well before it influences me. Yeah, time is time is different than them. It's probably going to be a lot. They're going to perceive time in a way different fashion. In my world of Atos, you have the God's War happens, and then there's the Age of Abandon, where gods leave to go to the God's Council and talk things through to yeah. make the God's War stop. That happens, the Age of Abandon is over 100 years long. Through that time, there's no healing, there's no resurrection, <laughs> there's nothing like that. And so a lot of humanity... And other races like turn from the worship of gods, then they hate the gods because they caused havoc and then peace. Yeah. And then they come back, the gods come back and they're like, we we're only gone for like an hour. <laughs> like, we figured this out quick. Like, what's your problem? Yeah. Like, they didn't, they don't, un and of course, there was no actual conversation like that, yeah. but that's the mentality of they're like, you know, your human hundred years is nothing to us. Yeah. Like, and think of a hundred years as far as we go generation is on average like 40 years so you have two whole generations there are basically everybody who was alive when the gods left yep. died mm -hmm. and now 
everybody coming back to a whole different world. It's a whole different world. Every living being, except for you know those races that are especially long lived, are going to be the ones that are still around that remember. Hey, you left. <laughs> what the heck, man? Well, you know what's funny about that admire world is that elves are the long, like one of the longest living races, and so yeah. they were they would remember the gods after they return the most. But pretty much after the gods return is when. Almost the exact point that the Elven no Plague way. happens. <laughs> and so they're all like, like they're 95% all of them die. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so uh, gods perceiving time is something that can really affect that connection between gods and mortals and mortals and gods. Perceiving time slower, faster. There's also that option of gods exist out of time. Like, I can travel back in time. I can travel forward in time. Time doesn't mean anything to me. I yeah. am a god. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter to me. Like... A god talking to a mortal would be like, he'd refer to events in the future just as events in the past, and the mortal's like, oh, I didn't do that. Like, oh, you will. <laughs> like, uh, Don't worry about it. Exactly. <laughs> and maybe that going with that, uh, maybe some of the gods, whether it's correct in your world or not, believe time can't be changed. I've been to the future. Time is unchangeable. You have your destiny. You're going to fulfill it. Whether you yeah. like it or not, it's going to happen. Yeah. Or do they see time like like almost like a tree with branches? Mm-hmm. And they see all of the different choices and all of the different options that you can make. Yeah. And, you know, it's like they want to show up to you at this time and just, like, eliminate all of these choices you could potentially make. If you want your players to go one way, as this is DM Mitch speaking, uh, have a god talk to them at the beginning of the campaign and tell them that their destiny is the thing you don't want them to do, and I almost guarantee that they are going to do the exact opposite of that. And depends on the god. <laughs> depends, maybe. Depends on the god, yeah. Depends on what the future is. But yeah. but yeah, time can be very different to a god. Our last point that we want to make for you who are out there and thinking about making your Pantheon. Maybe this is the first time you thought about it and now you want to make your Pantheon or want to brush up your Pantheon and really just uh, chisel it out and figure out what it exactly is. Is uh, We want to encourage you also to homebrew your gods. Uh, create some new gods out there. We listen to our Divine Spotlight for inspiration. Those episodes where we share gods that we've created from our for our worlds. Uh, but create your own gods. Uh, you can look at gods that are like we shared on this podcast from the real world. Uh, you can look at gods from other fantasy novels, D&D, and get inspiration from them. But adding your own gods is going to add flavor to your world uh, that is nowhere else. <laughs> no other campaign, because that is your god. And I guarantee those are the gods that you're going to like fall in love with as like their lore, because you're, you're gaining from them. Also, feel free to add on to the lore or change the lore of any of the gods that are part of D&D or whatever gods you pull into your pantheon because uh, especially with D&D gods, the reason we do Divine Spotlights is there's way less information on a lot of the D&D gods than we would like to have as DMs sometimes. So don't just let the buck stop there, but when a player has a, a god that they're playing with, uh, sit down with that player. Me and Mark, when Mark picked Erebus, Erebus was a god that you chose for one of your characters, yeah. and now he's a huge part in my world because you decided one day, I want to worship this god as a PC. And, and, and we sat down and created this whole like hierarchy system of Erebus yeah. and uh, all this stuff that became like canon in my world and added, fleshed out this god so much. Uh, and like I said, we've brought him back a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, do that with your players. 
your player worships this god, ask them, like, bring that into the world. And if you don't, if you ask them a question, you're like, uh, what is this, the deal with this? And they're like, I don't know, there's nothing written on that. Go, all right, well, let's figure it out together. Yeah, exactly. I think as far as Erebus goes, there was, like, three lines of text on him on the internet. It's basically, he's the god of the, he's like a titan of darkness in Greek mythology. And it was like, okay, well, go from there. (laughs) (laughs) And we did. And we had a great time. And Erebus has come back many times in our campaign and become yeah. a, big, a big place in my world. So that's picking out your pantheon. We hope that this has given you a lot of great ideas. Mark's going to stick with us to the end, but thank you, Mark, for coming in with Chris being sick and helping us out and helping me put together this episode. Uh, hopefully you guys really enjoyed it, and this helps you create the pantheons of your world. Let's head over to the mailbag. They've been asking for their mail on a daily basis. It's all they're talking about up there. That right there is the mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail for you all day, okay? Here we are at another segment of the Mailbag of Holding, where we share ideas, stories, and questions from you, the listener. Uh, we have a question this week that comes from Jeremiah, and Jeremiah asks us, what skills do we usually roll for players as secret roles? So he, he wants to know, as the DM, what roles do we roll in secret so that the player doesn't see what they're rolling? And I do think uh, there was a time that I would have answered this with no, and that was very early on when I was DMing, uh, before I realized, you know, it's not good that the player sees what they're getting because that totally changes. Like, as, like uh, yeah, and you can, you can admit it as a player, I can admit it as a player, it's going to. Even yeah. if you try your hardest, knowing what you roll, if it's super good, if it's super low, knowing what you roll does affect the yeah. way you play. When you roll a crit one on some checks... That you know is important. You're going to sit there and kind of go... Figure out how... see how I yeah. can roll differently yeah. even if it, Even if it's a subconscious thing of, like, I know there's more here, yeah. well, you're going to look for options on how to make how that do happen. How adjust that? Mm-hmm. So there are some things that... Uh, we kind of went down the list. Me and Mark are 3.5 guys. Uh, Chris is not here with his 5e stuff today. So we're going to go from 3.5 skill list. That being said, I think it's really easy to go off of what we say here and just, if you know the 5e system, uh, pull that over to 5e and go, okay, that would be yeah. this here. It should be, it's more simple in 5e. It's more, cause, yeah. Because they're more umbrella-y in mm-hmm. their skills. So uh, I, we, we're going to go down a list of things that you... As a DM, there's good reason for you to roll them. Some, in some circumstances, yes. Some, in some circumstances, no. The biggest thing, and I think Mark as a player would agree, Mark, you like when the DM rolls certain things. You're like, that should be the case. But then also, you don't, as the DM, want to be the super, like, every single thing I'm going to roll. You take, like, part of the fun of being a player and a DM is rolling those dice. Is to get to roll the dice. Yeah, that's... See that 20. Exactly. That is that is part of the fun. And so you don't want to take that away from the players too much. Uh, so let's go through some of these skills and go down the list of what we have and talk about why you would possibly, as a DM, in a circumstance, roll for the players and not let them see, and then just explain the effects. Uh, the first one is a praise. This is a fairly obvious one, I would say. Yeah. If a player crit ones an appraisal check, uh, they could very much it. And you explain to them, well, you think that it's worth uh, nothing. <laughs> like yeah. you think it's garbage. Well, part of part of that, you seeing that crit one would be, 
I know that that's wrong now. In fact, if you roll crit one, the DM says that's worth garbage. You know that the exact opposite is true. Yeah. It's the most valuable thing ever. Yeah. So you're not gonna sell that. You're gonna hope that something comes up that changes your mind on that. Uh, you're gonna look at your other players and go, uh, "You should appraise this." Yeah. <laughs> like, you know. And once you roll that twenty, we'll know. Or you're gonna go. You're gonna find a reason not to trust the shopkeeper. Yeah. Or you, you know, you can kind of praise later again. Yeah. Well, and that's and that yeah that comes into play. Is is the shopkeeper rolling and yeah. are they rolling crit ones? Like, because that might be a mean DM move. <laughs> like, I feel like the shopkeeper should just not roll and just tell you. Uh, but yeah, like wh- you could have the other player then roll and just. Bruh. But if you have the DM roll for that. Uh, then your party, who the two appraisers together are going to go, we're both going to roll. And so if there's a discrepancy, you're, it's a better chance knowing if somebody rolled low or somebody rolled high. Yeah. But I think it makes more sense for you to have a DM roll the appraisals because it's saying, you know, you, you with a crit one would be confident that you did your job, but you'd be wrong. Yes. <laughs> uh, maybe with a almost succeed but a not quite successful DC check – you tell your player you're not sure. That is probably what I would do. I wouldn't if the DC check was 15 and they made a 14. I wouldn't be like, you think it's worthless, and like they're like, oh, I throw it in the trash. Like, well, you could also flip that and have it be, you know, you think it's worth three thousand gold when it's worth like a thousand. Exactly. You just yeah. have it kind of go up or whatever or down. The the next thing that we talked about was bluff check. I think in most circumstances, or would you roll the bluff check for your players? I would say no in most circumstances. When you're dealing with NPCs, I would say no. But, and you know what, maybe we should just jump down the list and go right to sense motive with this as well. Yep. Sense motive, I would say yes all the time. That's one of the ones that I've said, give me your modifiers for, I'm rolling sense motive for you. And so let's talk about bluff first. If you're having as a character, you're bluffing to the other players, and if your players are without previous knowledge and metagaming, they actually don't know and a character bluffs to another character, a player character bluffs to another player character, uh, you don't want them to roll the bluff in front of the other players and then the other player roll the sense motive. Because guaranteed, especially if it's a continu- like it's a problem between the two players, guaranteed, it doesn't matter what you roll, like yeah. you're going to see the roles, you're going to know who's lying, who's who's telling the truth, and it affects the game yeah. from that point on. You've seen this at the table. Yes. <laughs> and no matter how confident you are in your role play skills as a player, if the guy across the table goes, "I'm lying to him." 32 yeah. over to the DM, <laughs> and then you sit there and look at your 14 and go, "I have to try and pretend to believe him even though I know outright he's lied." It's very difficult. However, if the DM has rolled for you, there's much more likely that you go, okay, I can I can roleplay that better exactly. without those numbers messing with your Now, mind. if you have PCs who are lying to each other all the time and having your roll bluff checks, you have another problem there, and that's called distrust in the group, <laughs> and that's going to probably leave the table and, and go into the actual players, and that's another problem. But that's a whole other story we've talked about that before. So bluff, I'd say in a player-to-player instance, yes. Uh, let's just talk about sense motive since we're kind of talking about that. Yep. Same thing with sense motive going along with that bluff check. Also, if you're dealing with NPCs and your your group does not trust them, we've had it before where you guys will go, I want a sense motive on this guy. Me too, me too. Well, if you all roll and one guy gets a crit one and he's told, 
you don't be- you don't believe that he's trust- trustworthy, and he actually is, but everybody else gets like the okays and whatever, then that player is very easily going to push aside his plus his one, his crit one, and go, well, they're all saying it, so I totally believe him. Instead of yes. going, well, I I got a crit one, so even though they agree with him, I'm going to I'm I believe, and we've done that before. Where with Wesley Wonders, that incident we talked about earlier, you yeah. you all rolled sense motive and all came out with different things. Yeah. And the I, I think what the general consensus was for some of you was go with the guy with the higher sense motive. Like, yeah. trust in him. Tr- trust in the guy with the highest mm-hmm. Which in that moment actually falls into Chris's camp. Uh, because the guy with the highest sense motive did not trust Wesley. Uh, so there's been discussion, did he crit one? Did he at twenty? Yeah. Did he just get a high roll and he knows the guy's not trustworthy? Yeah. I'm of the camp that he could have crit one because mm-hmm. that player has a propensity to uh, roll crit ones. At, even though I was, even though I was, even the, though it channeled over out of into someone me. else's hands. <laughs> he crit ones way too often at important moments. Doesn't matter who <laughs> touched the die. His character is full of crit ones at important moments. Yeah, but yeah, it's it. It's a moment that we wouldn't have this mystery and, like, this still your players and characters are still unsure if it was all rolled in front of you guys. We would have moved on so quick from that moment. So sense motive is definitely one that I, the DM, always roll with behind the shield and just tell the players, this is what you think. Um, Another one would be decipher script. Most of the time, I'd say no. But you brought up a good point of, like, well, if they roll a crit one, uh, you could have this great moment of you tell them that they think that they've decipher, deciphered the script, yeah. and you tell them something completely different. <laughs> what do you What do you do when there's you know uh, speak friend and enter and yeah. over the door, and the guy thinks it says speak Frank and enter, <laughs> and yeah. if you do it wrong, something terrible happens, exactly. and they roll a crit one. Well, if they roll the crit one, they're gonna go. I'm gonna think through it a little bit more. <laughs> like, but you tell them like with a surety, like you know it, like yeah. you know it's Frank. <laughs> like uh, that that opens up some great stories. <laughs> exactly. So decipher script. I'd say most of the time no, uh, but in some cir- circumstances maybe you as the DM want to disable device. I would say always. Yeah. Um, it, whether it's like disabling a trap or something else, like you should be, especially with a rogue disabling a trap. It should be you're confident that you're good at this. And so if you get a crit one or you fail, you still think you did a good job. It's yeah. just when you open that door and you find the spear in your face, oops, I guess I failed that one. Oh, I guess there's something a little off. Yeah. There's also the close factor in that one where you can tell, like, that thing didn't click when mm-hmm. it normally clicks. And that's that could be your close call. Yeah. And you can try again. But if you try again, if that crit one happens, maybe it's like... Maybe the crit one is a bad... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You clicked it, and all of a sudden you get a spear to your face automatically <laughs> instead of getting that moment where you get to open the door. <laughs> it was a one spear trap and three spears come out. <laughs> mean GM. Uh, next one would be disguise. I would say most of the time, no, but you could make the case that disguise, uh, well, you think you do a good job, and this is where, if I was rolling it myself, po- I would possibly roll... Uh, a disguise for perception check from the other players to determine that, hey, dude, you didn't do a good job. Like, yeah. I, you're clearly you. <laughs> dude, you still look like an orc. Exactly. <laughs> um, going along with that forgery, I'd say most of the time, no. Uh, but it could also be good to roll it because if you did get a really low, it could be like, well, you think you did a good job, but you didn't. 
And if you know what DC checks, because some players do, some people, Mark, read books that are meant for DMs. I'm sorry, I'm not. <laughs> and so they might know a DC check. Caleb is more of that guy who would know DC checks. <laughs> um, and so, like, they would go, oh, I know that's wrong. No, I'm not going to hand in that sheet of paper right now. You roll behind a screen for forgery, you're not going to have, you're going to go, all right, you did it. Like, there you go. So forgery could, you could make a case. Search can be made a case of, because if you roll a crit one on a search, what are you going to do? I search the room again. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm going to keep looking. In the old days, that's how that's how you that's, guys as players did it. That's how people did you it, yeah. You rolled a bad search, we're going to stay back and search the room again. <laughs> like, And so that's not really what I believe the system is made for. It's If you roll a crit one or you fail the search check, you're still confident that you searched everything. You just didn't search it well yeah. enough, and you don't find it. Uh, you brought up 5e. Five, 5e solves the problem with a passive perception mm-hmm. check, where the DM uh, knows, like, this is the set number for everyone when they walk in the room. They are aware, and I think it's like it's like taking a 10 in 3.5, where exactly, yeah. it's a 10 plus your modifier and all that stuff. So some people get a passive perception of 11, and some people get a passive perception of 22. And those 22 guys find stuff way more. Mm-hmm. I'm not a convert to 5e yet. However, I really like the passive perception checks. I really like that. Um, so, uh, we've already talked about sense motive. The last one that we would say is use rope. And I think the only thing that comes to my head when I would roll this behind my DM screen is when you're rolling it to like tie up an enemy. Obviously, the guy who uses rope, is go- who does well with that, is going to be the one that says, roll for me, please. But we've seen it happen where you've tied up enemies before, and that guy has rolled a really terrible He's roll. like a three. Yeah, and you come back, and that dude is gone. <laughs> so uh, that would be the only other one. Uh, we hope that that helps you out, Jeremiah, that those are some skills that maybe you decide, maybe that's what I want to roll behind the screen, uh, and helps any of you other listeners out. But that, that's just kind of what we do, and... Uh, that's our advice with that. Yeah. Most, more often than not, it's, it tends to be when deception mm-hmm. is involved. Yeah. Especially when other people at the table mm-hmm. need to understand that, you know, the numbers aren't the important thing. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I think it's most of the time you, as the DM, have to ask yourself, if the player sees his own role, is that going to change the way that they're going to play? Also want to point out, Jeremiah is from Grand Rapids, right? Local boy. So uh, shout out to you, Jeremiah, who live in Grand Rapids. All right, well, let's head on to the light bulb. Light bulb. All right, so for the light bulb this week, Mark, I came across this, this video and this piece of history that I thought was really cool, and I was like, I want to work this into D&D as the light bulb for the podcast. This is something that I think fits really well with what we're talking about with gods and pantheons because I think this would be perfect for an evil deity and for cults of an evil deity to do. Uh, So there's this thing called the Aztec Death Whistle and it was created by Aztecs and obviously (laughs) uh, and they, they took a skull and they made it, I don't know what they did to it but they made it into an actual like whistle. Uh, and wow. this whistle is terrifying. It's called a death whistle, not just because it's made from a skull, but it also, when you blow in it, it makes the sound of like somebody like dying in extreme crazy pain. So we're at, what we're actually going to do is uh, we're going to play the sound, the clip. You can go on YouTube and find this video, and we're going to just comment through the clip, and then we're going to talk about this in D&D. Yeah. So here's the clip. Let's listen to it. 
Now I want to show you All right, this. so this is the guy explaining this. I want to share with you this actual whistle. Very unique instrument. We call the dead whistle. <laughs> the dead whistle, the act used for the special ceremonies for Day of the Dead That's celebration. Really and also they use when they have a war, when they fight with other tribes, they play over a hundred instruments, a hundred that so whistles going into battle, marching and like in the night. You hear them coming and at make you. A lot of noise <laughs> this is like to this is psychological warfare, right yeah. here. Psychological effects yeah, <laughs> to the enemy. So this is very intimidating instruments, and this is very unique. He's about to play it. So this is the dead whistle. Right, this is crazy. <laughs> Holy cow! <laughs> Isn't that so scary? I know. <laughs> Look, that sounds like somebody dying. That's or that. like a ghoul coming at yeah, you. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, the death is... Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, okay. So this next thing is somebody... The guy took it and added horse stampede coming and made it like multiplied by 100. So this is what it would sound like. Oh, yeah. They're coming at you at night. So cool. oh, Imagine you're like at night. <laughs> this is coming at you. Yeah, it's crazy, right? I know. Now imagine like in a D and D world, like you said, orcs. Yeah, like yeah. orcs take the heads of their victims, the skulls. Like even like, what if they go into battle and they worship Gormash and they do their best to lob off the heads, clean cuts, like yeah. or to kill from the body, and so they take the skulls of their victims, make them into these whistles. And at night, you're, like, in a city in your campaign, and you, like, play that clip. Like, yeah. But, like, the one, like, when it added it, it sounds creepy, but that one single skull, like, yeah. it sounds, it sounds like a real person. It's creepy. Another thing you could do is have, like, those, um, you know those orc helmets where they, like, stack skulls on their, yeah. on top? <laughs> you could have each one of those be a whistle, and someone's riding on a horse, and it's like, <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, you have little goblins hanging from this totem pole of this orc helmet. Like, yeah. they're playing, like, with each of the skulls. But I, I thought that was really interesting, and I thought, you know, this is a bit of, like, history that I think would be perfect for an actual yeah. campaign. And, and it's scary. That's yeah. a scary sound. I had gone to Mexico on my honeymoon, and we actually toured one of these, like, Mayan pyramids. Yeah. And those, that culture and, like, the Aztecs and all of those re people in the area are, like, really crazy acoustic masters. And there was this spot where we, like, um... We were at the base of Chichen Itza, the pyramid, and you could clap, and you would hear it come out of the top of the pyramid. That's crazy. So you could apply that kind of, like, architecture mastery to these screaming things and have, like, a guy just standing at one spot. One spot. And it sounds like a hundred. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and so you could even have, like, a PC be like, we're going to intimidate these things and, like, have this moment where he's like, I know if I stand right here and blow into this whistle, it sounds like 30 people <laughs> at the top of a mountain just going, <laughs> Yeah, and, like, yeah, like, that, it, one, it sounds like somebody dying, or two, it sounds like something evil is coming for you. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's, like, it plays both Harpies. ways. Yeah, creepy, creepy sound effect. Hopefully you guys like that, and hopefully you can use that in your campaign somehow.
that, that's all we have for you on this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block. We hope that you enjoyed everything that we brought to the table today. Mark, once again, thank you so much for stepping in. Oh, I no think this problem. was a, a great episode. I'm excited to hear uh, what the people think about it. I'm sure you'll be jumping on the forum because you'll oh, like to certainly. interact with people and hear what they think about everything we talked about this episode. Speaking about talking with people, Mark, where can they, our listeners, get in touch with us if they want to? Well, they can email you at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. Also, you can swing by iTunes and give a five-star review. If you're so kind, you can head over there and give us a five-star. We've said before, and I'll say it once again, once we reach 100 five-star reviews... Uh, we'll be doing something special for you guys. So head on over there and give us those five stars. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMs block for all that goodness of memes and everything. And you can like our Facebook page, which has been blowing up quite recently. So head on over there and help it blow up some more. Blow it up. We want to give one special shout out. If you have, hopefully you've seen our beautiful picture of Stomp as our new logo. Hopefully you've also seen our new image of the Riders of Shemesh logo. Uh, it's beautiful. Well, that logo, the Riders of Shemesh logo, comes from our buddy over at nerdtonic.com. Evie at nerdtonic.com. He makes awesome homebrewed nerd merch. You should totally go there. Check it out. He's got some really awesome shirts, cups, everything. Uh, and just check him out. They're awesome. You can also follow him on Twitter at NerdTonic. Before we go, as we have had for the past couple episodes, been going in a row, this is awesome, we have another Patreon shout-out for you guys today. And so our Patreon shout-out today goes to... Ryan Rogers. Thank you so much, Ryan. You are awesome. Ryan is a platinum dragon, which means he is the scariest of dragons. Keep away from those platinum dragons. It also means that, Ryan, you got a t-shirt on your way. It's coming to you. So be excited for that. But without any further ado, we're closing it out. We're shutting it down. We're turning the lights and the mics off for this episode of the Dungeon Master's Block. Uh, the place where you come to hear about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing and picking gods, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all their people at the table. Thank you all. Have a great day. Keep on Dungeon Mastering. And playing. Goodbye.